The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning. How are you guys today? Uh, Welcome to ACF Church. If you're new, uh, I hope this feels like family. I hope that you come in here and uh, that this feels like home to you and that you feel received and welcomed. Um, But uh, we are in a series called Fanatic. We are walking through the letter from Jesus' half-brother, his little brother, James. And so that's the journey that we've been on. Um, And we're going to get into that here in just a second. But first, we want to share some highlights from last weekend. If you're new today, you might not know, uh, we canceled church last weekend to go and be the church in our city. And so we canceled our normal services both our Wednesday evening and our Sunday morning. We went out and we served our community in the name of Christ. And so if you're, if you're like, that's a little weird, uh, why wouldn't you do it a different day? Because Sunday is church day. Um, we do that intentionally. Uh, we, we canceled church because we want to go and act like the church in our city. We believe that's a way that we worship, is by serving our neighbors. And one thing you'll learn about our church is that one of our greatest values is uh, this idea of the kingdom of God being expanded in our city. We as a church, we believe that God is at work in our community, that he has this plan to uh, fulfill, uh, and that he's going to use us in the end uh, to continue to bring the the kingdom of God to our community, to show people what it's going to be like one day when every wrong is made right, when grace is poured out, and that Christ is seen in his fullness here on earth. And so I want to show you some some, uh, videos and, and pictures from what happened last weekend, then we'll continue on. Let's give it up for what happened last weekend. telling you what, uh, isn't that what it's all about? I'm telling you, like, this is when it comes to life. This is when faith matters, is when we're actually helping people. I love Millie. I was just like, she's a classy lady, isn't she? I mean, you could just see it. She just was uh, so appreciative. And, and, you know, we can never really measure the impact of what we do. We can never really know exactly how God uses the time and energy we spend on caring for other people, but we do it in faith, knowing that God's going to multiply that and use that to change our city. And you guys, this is when the church comes to life. And in the book of James, this, this letter from James is all about true faith and dead faith. That, that you guys have maybe seen this before, maybe you've been in churches before where you're like, there's just something wrong here. It feels dead. There's nothing really going on here. There's no life happening here. And James is challenging this church, this early church, don't let this happen to you. Any of you can fall into this trap of going to church, of hearing good things, as we talked a couple weeks ago, hearing the good news, hearing about Jesus and not doing anything. And that's truly when your faith comes to life. A lot of people come to church for a while and maybe they don't come back anymore. And maybe, maybe you would say, well, it didn't do anything for me. It didn't change my life. But have you allowed the gospel to change you? Have you allowed a, a, a compassion to grow inside of you for ladies like Millie? You know, the, the neighbor next door, the friend at work, the friend at school, uh, the people in your family. Have you grown in compassion and showed that compassion? And what James is saying is that this is really when your faith takes hold. 
that this is when it's going to seem real to you because until then, all you've done is heard good things and been to church and nothing has changed. And so uh, Luther said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is ultimately worth nothing. And we want no part of that. We want a true religion, a true faith that changes our lives and the lives of people around us. And so before we get to James chapter 2, I want to read the end of James chapter 1 as we read a couple weeks ago. Um, You might not know, so the Bible wasn't always split into verses and chapters as we see it. I think it wasn't until uh, the mid-1300s that it was split up the way that that it is now. And so sometimes thoughts will continue from the previous chapter into the next. And so James sets a foundation for what's going to be said in verse 127. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is true religion. If you want to find out what your religion is, if you want to test for your religion, James is saying, do you care for those in need? Do you love the unlovable? Do you reach out to the marginalized? Do you care for the people around you? And that's how you know if your religion is true and if it's pure. And, uh, and so before we get too far here, you guys can open up to James chapter 2. I want to do so. So you guys might know my story a little bit. Um, I'm a military kid. My dad was in the Air Force for 30 years and uh, so proud of my dad. And so I have, a, uh, I have a, a, an affinity for Air Force people. We got some Air Force people in the room? Air Force people? All right, so we got some Air Force people in the room. I just have a, uh, I understand the military lifestyle. We remember moving around. And so when I meet an Air Force person, I'm like, I feel a little brotherhood. So Air Force people, throw your hands up real quick. So you guys like Kit Kats? Go for the Kit Kats. Come on, Air Force people, throw your hands up. Let's go in the back corner. You got a baby. I'm not going to chuck this at your head. Here you go. So here's the Reese's. Let's go over to the other side of the room. This is fun. I'm getting my calisthenics in for the morning. Here you go. Air Force it is. Okay. Anybody else? Any other Air Force people over here? There you go. There you go. Sweet. Love you, Air Force people. Um, Any Army people in the room? We got some Army people in the room? Love you guys too. So James chapter 2. That's where we're going to go. Verse... One, I'm just kidding, you guys. Are, don't send me hate mail. Come on, come on. A couple army people, army people, where you at? Got a couple there. Got a couple. Let's go. I don't know if I can do it. Let's try there. Oh, almost. Okay. I love you all. And then we got some people who aren't in any uh, form of military. We love you as well. We're an equal opportunity love uh, fest here at ACF Church. So we love each other no matter what. But uh, anyway, so James is going to talk to us about that feeling you just had if you were an army person. He's going to talk to us about that feeling of being pressed aside, about being looked over, about being marginalized, or that somebody has not acted fairly towards you. We kind of well up, right? And we well up with pride and with frustration when we're in a situation like that where we feel like we haven't been treated well. So James chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? 
But you have dishonored the poor man and are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are, not, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me over God's word? Jesus, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the people in this room. God, thanks that we can freely come together and read your word. God, I ask that today would change us. As we just saw on the video, God, and as we think back into times where we have been moved to help someone, God, we know that that's when our souls really come to life. And we're a church that wants to live fully alive. So God, I pray that we would be a gathering of people marked not by those who simply hear good things and leave unchanged, but by those who have been changed by the gospel, who love in the name of Jesus unconditionally. God, I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. So I did mention I'm a military kid, moving around a lot. Uh, Many of you get this lifestyle of feeling like you're always the new person in town, like you don't know anybody, uh, like you don't have friends. Maybe you're here today and, uh, and you're new to church. You're, you're new to this place, and so you don't really know anybody here as well. Well, we lived in upstate New York. Anybody live in New York? We got some New Yorkers in the room. So we lived in Plattsburgh, New York. Do you guys know where that's at? Anybody? Some of you know where it's at? So Plattsburgh, upstate, Sticks, New York. There was an Air Force base there, um, which I think is now a casino. Uh, but anyway, that's a different story. I think it got shut down and turned into a casino. So um, we lived there. We moved in in the summer. My brother and I, my brother's four years older than me, and I was about eight years old and moved into this house way outside of town, didn't know anyone. So we spent the summer hanging out with each other, uh, didn't have anybody else to hang out with. School hit, um, tried to get to know some people, didn't really build any friendships, and then uh, winter break hit. And so Christmas is coming, and so we made our Christmas list, and we put, uh, you know, what we want on the Christmas list. I had all kinds of things. I remember my list was a mile long. My brother had one thing. He had one thing because you guys know how it works. You put, if you got one expensive thing you want, that's all you put on the list just to kind of narrow down the options for mom and dad, right? It's like, you got no other option. You got to get me this. And so this is what he had on the list um, right here. Come on now. Anybody know what this is? So excited about this. Um, This is the original, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. We got Duck Hunt, and we got the track and field game, the little thing that you run on, and, you know, Super Mario. This is Super Mario 2 in here. Um, It's just, and what did you do when this didn't work? You blowing it! How do you, how does everybody know this? You just, right? I don't know if it does anything, but it makes a cool sound. And then you stick it back in, and then you uh, run your machine. So... This is awesome. So this is what was under the tree. My brother got the NES, and I was so jealous. Uh, But this is all we did for the rest of Christmas break is play Super Mario and uh, have a blast on this. Well, then school uh, is back in session. We go back to school, and I remember I, um, I come home from school, first day back, and I open the door to the house, and I hear these sounds from my basement, laughing and screaming and excitement. I'm like, what's going on? And I run downstairs, and here's my brother with 10 friends. And I'm like, 
you are so cool. Like, how did you make so many friends so quickly? My brother, you are so awesome. How could they come over so... And I'm like, oh, it was the NES. You, you got the NES. And I realized very quickly, this is how it works. And so guess what I wanted for Christmas next year? A Nintendo Entertainment because I wanted some friends, right? I saw this is how it simply works. And then, you know, as time got, you know, went on, I was in junior high school, and I realized the first question that people ask you, that boys would ask when we want to be friends, was what kind of system do you have, right? What kind of system, which, you know, I'm like, sound system? What do you mean? It, it, it's what gaming system do you have? A Sega Genesis, you know, then N64 came out. I mean, it just got... And I was always the kid that was way behind. I was always the kid with the one that was, I'd ask my mom for the brand new thing, and she'd find a deal on like an old NES and be like, here you go, right? So I said, mom, that's not cool. So anyway, this is my life. So now you, now you feel bad for me as a human being. You've got you've to realize this is a broken system, isn't it? And we've all felt this before. We're like, if I just had this, it would make me acceptable to others. If I just had this, people would spend time with me and invest in me. And, you know, I'd like to say that we grow out of this. I'd like to say that we get better. But the reality is, you know, I think we still do this. Um, and so here's the scenario. Let's say that I text you and eight other people, hey, do you want to come over to my house tonight? And we're going to sit on the, house, sit on the couch and we're going to talk about our feelings, right? Like, <laughs> nobody would respond. Maybe one friend would take pity on Brian. He's like, man, I don't know what he's going through, but I'm going to go spend some time with Brian. I don't know. He's got some kind of issue. Nobody would show up. But if I called you and I was like, hey, I've got football, beer, and pizza, which is, you know, the, the holy trinity of male relationships. <laughs> football, beer, and pizza. Who wants to come over? I would run out of room on the couch. You would all show up to my house. We'd spend time together. We'd laugh. We'd have a blast. It's just how we work, isn't it? I mean, we, we look, and, and teenagers, you do this. Somebody invites you to a party. What's the first question you ask? Who's going to be there? Who, who's gonna, what, what's going what's gonna to happen, right? Because we want to find out, is it going to help me or hurt me? Is this going to raise my level of popularity, raise my influence, or diminish it if I'm associated with these people? James is talking to a church with this kind of problem, a church that was showing partiality, a church that was judging people. And there were a lot of good things happening in this church. Lots of good things happening. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That sounds like a good thing. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So this church was gathering, and they were sharing what they had, which is awesome. Some of you are like, that sounds like... That sounds great. I want to go to a church like that because you own like a Honda Civic from 1985, right? You're like, I like that they would share stuff with me. If you need a snowblower, somebody here's got a snowblower, go get with that person. They were sharing everything. So there's good stuff happening here, but there was also this, uh, this great separation within the church. There was the rich and there were the poor. There was very little middle class in this society. And we, we don't get this because we have such a large middle class, but they had the rich people and the poor people. And there was a lot of issues between the two people groups. There was a lot of judgment happening between both of them. And so James says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the faith, uh, the Lord of glory partiality. So when you read this in some other translations, they use the word favoritism. Favoritism. And you guys get this. Nobody likes when somebody plays favorites, right? 
Nobody likes it unless they're playing favorites for you, right? You've all asked your mom and dad, mom and dad, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? Is it him or is it me? Because we want it to be us. We want to get our way. We, we think being the favorite will help us out in some way. And so we want to be the favorite. But James is saying, don't play favorites. Then he paints a picture for them. He creates a scenario. He says, let's say this. Let's say this guy shows up to church. He rolls up in the drive-thru here, opens the car door to his new Ferrari, gets out. He's got the full suit on. You know, he's got the nice shoes. He's got, the, uh, you know, the nice haircut. And he, this guy's looking like he's got money. And he comes into the church, and we see him. And he opens the back door, and we're like, hey, welcome to ACF Church. I'm so glad that you're here. Come on in. Like, like, come on, take the best seat in the house, which if you wonder what the best seat is, it's always the front one. This is the best seat in the house. Take the best seat in the house. Put your feet up, you know, get comfortable. We are so glad that you're at ACF today. And then he, then he says, so then this poor guy shows up. And, you know, he pulls in in his 1987 Geo Metro, you know, with smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe, you know, pulls it in the parking spot, shuts it down, gets out. He's got stained clothes, doesn't look like he has too much. He's got a really old flip phone, right? We're already judging him. He's got an old flip phone. And so he comes into the church and we're like, hey, glad you're here. Um, There is a dusty seat in the back corner. Nope, just filled up. Um, We just put down this new carpet for you, like just for you. So uh, you might have to sit on the carpet in the back. Um, Hope you can find a place. Awesome. Glad that you're here. This is the scenario that he paints for us, where these two kinds of people come into the gathering, and they're treated poorly or differently based on what they can contribute, based on what they can bring to the table. And I don't know if you think that we're above this today, um, or maybe the church, you know, it's, it was never like that again. But I was reading about this, and not too long ago in church history, we read of churches in England where, um, where rich parishioners would come into church, they would actually buy their seat, which some of you love this idea, right? Because you love your seat, and you hate it when somebody else is sitting in your seat. So you would buy your seat, and uh, like Josue would be here, and he'd, he'd, this would be Josue's seat, it'd say right there, and there would be uh, a door on the seat with a little lock that only he would have a key to. So Josue would come to church, he'd have his, pull out his little key, he'd open his, is this awesome? So he'd open his little door, he'd sit down in his seat, and nobody else would sit there. And so it, as a poor person or somebody who didn't have a seat, you'd come in, and you'd see all these little doors on things, and you'd be like, well, man, where do I, I guess I sit back here in the corner. And even as I look at the church today, maybe you've experienced a church where you see that it's being run by a certain people or group of people, and they're always the ones with the most money. They're always the ones, you know, and even beyond the church. Look beyond the church, and it's like, it would be tragic if things like our political system was run by money. I mean, that would be a horrible thing. And so, don't laugh too much. So it's... It would be tragic if there was influence that was beyond what was right or wrong for the gathering or for the community. It was driven by money or influence or whatever it was that you could bring to the table. And so in this church, it was the same deal because guess what? We're people and this is what we do. We look out for number one. We look out for ourselves. And this is what they were doing. And I remember not that long ago, um, it was probably nine months ago or something, I, I got this note and uh, I was... 
It's always interesting when people write notes on prayer cards. I'm like, it's not a, a suggestion box. Anyway, um, they, wrote, they wrote me a note, and I'm like, okay. And, and it said, uh, Dear Pastor Brian, I've got some uh, suggestions, which is always interesting. So I got some suggestions. Okay, let's see what they are. And they had a list. It was like 10 long. Very clearly written out. They had done their, done their homework. They had thought a lot about this. And they're like, we'd like to see some things change, some things with worship, some things with preaching, some things with the way the church is run. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And so I'm reading all of this, and it gets to the bottom, and uh, the person says, and by the way, we give a lot of money to the church. And I was like, oh, snap, really? And then, then this person went on to say, so I guess what that means is you sort of work for us. And I was like, are you kidding me? It was totally the Geico moment. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You don't get it. Um, and so I read that, and I'm like, there is definitely something going on in this person's life that would cause them to say, okay, I, I have authority and power because of what I contribute. And, and one thing you need to know about our church is that the family of God is not for sale. Um, it's just not. And we are willing to follow God into the darkest corners of the earth because we believe that God will give us every resource that we need to accomplish the work that he calls us to. And so that's, that, that is the influence that we have, is the influence of the Spirit over all things, our own desires, and the money in the bank. And so, um, anyway, I didn't tell you that story to cast judgment on that person. I tell you that story because there's a tendency within us and I've felt this before too, of, hey, because I give, because I do this, because of who I am, I should be able to influence. I should be able to get what I want. We, we all have this tendency. James is saying, be careful. Be careful. This does not look like Jesus. This does not look like the representation of Christ's body on the earth. We read this guy, Paul, who also did, uh, did ministry with James. We read about him uh, a lot, and they kind of cross paths many times in this early church. He says this in Galatians 3. He says in verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? This is why the church is such a revolutionary place. Nowhere else in our culture can people from so many different backgrounds come together under one roof and be unified. Nowhere else. And I get it. It's not perfect. It will be messy sometimes. But nowhere else does this happen. This is why I love what we're a part of. Our church is part of something called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is basically a movement of churches to spread the gospel worldwide. A movement of people from different backgrounds who say, let's come together around the common uh, faith. Let's come, around, around, uh, come together around the things that matter in Christianity, and then let's be mobilized. Because you guys have all seen churches divided about silly things, right? The color of the carpet, you know, let's get fired up about the music. Does anybody remember, like, the worship wars? Anybody been around that? Like, maybe you're still in the worship wars at your church, or you want to bring the worship wars to our church? I don't know. But, like, we don't want no worship wars because it was bad for a long time where it was about, like, the kind of music, and there's drums on the stage, and the worship leader was wearing a hat. And I don't know what it is that fires you up, but James is like, let's be unified around the things that matter because we're all one in Christ Jesus. So you might say, is this an argument for all things to be equal then? 
that we should all be, everything should be fair, that it should be equal across, that we all get our own way. Is that what, the, what, what he's saying? Like, don't show any partiality. Give everybody what they want. This is not what James is arguing at all. Because one thing we read in Scripture that's so very clear is that God's not really fair, which may come as a shocker. God's just not really fair. You may look around your life, and you can kind of see that. You're like, okay, why did I get the life that I did? Maybe it's awesome, or maybe it's a mess. Why do they have the job that they do, and I, do, I don't? Why do they have the bankroll that they do, and I don't? You know, why is my life full of health issues, and their life is not? We look around, we go, why is this? See, God's not fair, but you need to understand that he is just. And one thing he is, he's always good. And so no matter what your story is, no matter what your situation is, you need to understand it's not always fair. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus comes into a crowd of people. They're all wounded and have different diseases, and they're all crying out for help. He'll walk up to one of them, stand them up, offer them an opportunity for repentance, often heal them, and then walk off. Can you imagine how the rest of those guys felt? Like, what about me? Where's my candy bar, right? I mean, they had to be frustrated. They had to be bothered by that. But Jesus had his plan. He had his will. He was working this out. And if you want to read more about how the kingdom of God works when it comes to this, um, jot down Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Um, That's a whole other story, a, a parable about the kingdom of God when it comes to that stuff. So you can dig into that in your own time. But we know this again. God isn't always fair, but he is always just. And we know that he is good. And so as Christians, we reach out. And we, like we did the oil change last weekend, we didn't reach every community. We didn't reach every demographic. We sought out to reach single parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, parents with special needs. That's a pretty wide swath, right? We didn't reach them all, but there were more that we could have reached, more people that we could have helped. But at some point, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, we need to be focused and we cannot meet every need. So what happens in many churches and what happens in many Christians' lives is you end up with paralysis because of too many options, right? It's like, well, there's people over here that need clean water, and there's people over here who need to be adopted, and there's people down in Anchorage, there's people being um, like sold into human trafficking and, and human slavery. I mean, this is a big problem. There's children down here who need uh, influence from, from a male figure, so I can go and do that. Like, what... What do I do? And so what happens is people often see all the options and then they go and they do nothing. See, I don't think we need to feel bad about choosing where God is calling us to serve. You need to understand you do not have the resources or the capacity to love everyone equally. You just don't. So, so I think this is the key. We will never truly love everyone, but we can certainly love anyone. You see the difference? You will never love everyone. Here and at our church, there's a lot of people that show up here on a weekend. And maybe you look around and you're like, oh, it's so hard to get to know people. And, you know, I I don't know if I've met this person next to me before. They looked at me and smiled. Maybe they've introduced themselves. I don't know. And it gets awkward. You will not meet everybody here, but you can be willing to love anyone here. And so how do you determine who that's going to be? I think that we need to be open to the leading of the Spirit in our lives. I think we need to be open to the gifts that are in our, in our lives and our abilities and go, okay, maybe this is how God's guiding me. I'm a mechanic. I love to work with my hands and work on stuff. So guess what I come up with an idea of? Let's change oil for people who need it. 
because it's just what I know how to do. And so I'm going to go do that for the kingdom of God. And you guys, man, can you imagine if every one of you were to mobilize the gifts that you have to go and meet needs and show the love of Christ to our city? Can you imagine what that would look like? You know, Heather said we had a little over 200 people involved last uh, Impact Eagle River. I think that we could send our whole church into our city and it'd be wild. It would be a movement. You guys, this is what we do every week as we gather is I want to send you out as, as missionaries. And maybe you're like, Brian, I don't even believe this stuff. I'm not a missionary. But you can go and serve people too. I've had multiple friends of mine that don't go to church since Impact Eagle River say, hey, would you talk to me next time you do this? Because I want to go be a part of that. Because there's something in the human soul that comes alive when we love another human being unconditionally, when we help somebody who has a need. It's just what we're created to do. So a few things to help us do this, uh, a few ways to see what this gathering is about. Uh, The first is that the church is a family. We are a family. Pretty messed up family sometimes, right? But we are a family. James says this over, 53 times he says, our Lord Jesus Christ. He involves himself. He, he doesn't separate himself. He says, listen, me and you, we're part of this thing together, this, this family of God. And we are, as the church, a representation of Christ to the city. And so when we are unified, it's a beautiful thing. When we're not, it's a mess. I think people look in at the church and they see the church divided over silly things and they're like, man, I want nothing to do with a God like that. He can't even make up his own mind. He doesn't know what he believes. Look at him. He's divided about the... That's what people look in and they see. But a church that's unified around a common goal, who lets all the petty stuff that doesn't really, you know, matter just roll right off their backs, I mean, that is a community that's mobilized to show the kingdom of God to the world around us. We are all in this as a family together. Paul might say this today. There's neither Republican or Democrat, white or black, officer or enlisted, blue collar, white collar, no collar, rich, poor. I mean, there's none of that in the family of God. We are all together under Christ. The second thing is this. The church is not just a family. It's a loving family. This is kind of key because there's a lot of families out there. There's not that many loving families. There needs to be more loving families families. And so we as the family of God, we want to be a loving family. It says in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We need to be a loving family. Has anybody seen the new version of Family Vacation that just came out? A few of you have seen that? So Here's what we love about the Griswold family is they are a wreck. And it makes us feel a little bit more human, right? Like, okay, I can relate to that because that's just kind of what my life looks like. God is calling us to be a loving family. And then James says this, and this is challenging. He says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Again, he's saying if you're just judging people based on what they can give you, based on their outside appearance, then you are, you are sinning. You are going to be judged yourself. He's challenging this tendency. So here's what I call it. I go to the mall and I do something called people watching. Anybody people watch? 
Come on. People watching is a great way to sit around judging other people. I got to be honest. So I'm sitting there and like, you know, there's somebody over, maybe it's at the airport and there's Cinnabon over here and there's some guy like wiping down tables and I'm like, ooh, look at him. He's sweating, working hard, man. I hate wiping down tables at home, let alone for my job, man. Oh, that's, that's rough, dude. And then, oh, look at this girl over here. Oh, she could use a little help with her fashion, you know. Or this guy over here, you know, oh my goodness, you know. He, we, we start judging people. He needs a haircut. She needs some new makeup. Uh, you know, th- this is why a group of girls can sit together and this pretty girl will walk by and then one of them will say, I bet she can't read, Right? Why do we do that? Why do we have to do that? It makes us feel better, right? If we can just minimize somebody else, if we can cast some kind of judgment on them so that we can feel better about ourselves, we do it. But the problem is, is that this draws a line between you and other human beings that you should be loving, not judging. And when we do that, we miss opportunities to care for the people around us. And that's, that's a problem. James is saying it's not just a lapse of judgment. It's not just harmless activity. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, people watching. He's saying be careful with this because what you may be doing is disqualifying yourself from an opportunity to show the the love of Christ to another person. Because if you're so busy, busy judging them, you're probably not thinking about how you could love them. So James is like, be careful with this. The third thing is this. The church is a loving family empowered by grace. The church is a loving family empowered by grace. Here's why this is key. Is when you hear this, you're like, okay, Brian, you're saying love my neighbor, love my coworker, love the people I go to school with, love my teacher, love my husband, my wife. You're saying all of this, it feels like work, doesn't it? This sounds like more to do. It sounds like something else for your schedule. I know you're busy. I know you've got your own friends that you love to hang out with. I know you got your own things that you enjoy doing on the weekends. You've already got plans. So as I'm saying this, some of you are hearing work, (laughs) busyness. Let me read verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James brings us back to grace. He brings us back to consider where we've come from, to consider our lives, to consider that we don't deserve anything of what we have. But what we tend to do is we just want to kind of squeak by. We want to determine whether or not we're better or worse than other people. And James is like, no, be careful, because if you've broken part of the law, you've broken all of the law. Be careful where, where you put yourself on that scale. It's kind of like, so uh, let's be honest here for a second. Do any of you tend to drive a little over the speed limit? Come on. The entire room. All of you sinners, look at you. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm with you. I am with you. I tend to do this. So this is so funny. This is three services. You guys are the third time I've preached this. Every time, it's been the entire room. We have a problem with speeding in our church. So here's what I do. This is like a whole other sermon series, I guess. 
Here's what I do. So when I want to speed, I want to get somewhere quick, I get out on the Glen Highway, and I do 65 miles an hour. And then I pray for somebody to come running by me at 85, right? <laughs> God, please bring somebody going. And then God provides, right? Here comes somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. 85 miles an hour. And so then I squeal out into, you know, into the, the passing lane. And I'm behind the 85-mile-an-hour guy going... 84, right? Because that's the key. That's important. You don't want to do 85, you do 84, and your only prayer is that when the police officer sees both of you, he's going to go after the 85 guy, and you're just going to kind of merge over and let, let him go by, right? No, it wasn't me. We've done this, right? So this is how we live our lives. We just, we pray that God grades on a curve. We, we're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm not the devil. So I'm sort of somewhere in the safe zone, like right, right in the middle. And James is saying, have you forgotten who you are? He's saying, do you realize that if you break part of the law, you've broken all of it? Whether it's 84 or 66 in a 65 zone, you are guilty. This is so key to us loving other people. And if you're like, yeah, this feels like work, Brian. It feels like there's more to do. I think when you start considering who you are, considering where you've come from, considering that you don't deserve the grace that you get, neither do I. All of a sudden, what flows from your pores is acceptance and love. And your tendency to judge diminishes because you consider that you have come from so far. You consider the grace that God has given to you. This is so key. And then James closes with this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love this. James brings it back home. He brings it back home. Basically, he answers the question, do you want to, do you want to succeed in life? Do you want to win at life? You know what you're going to do? Give mercy. Which is so countercultural. This does not make sense to us because in our culture, it's like step on whoever you need to step on. Just get to the top. Not so in the family of God. Not so, according to James. He says, if you want to succeed, if you want mercy, you will give mercy. And James, uh, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed is the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus makes it clear as well that if you want mercy, you better give mercy. But for whatever reason, I'm more motivated by James than Jesus sometimes, if I'm honest. Jesus is like, hey, you want to be blessed? Give mercy. And I'm like, I'm kind of already blessed. My life's pretty good. I'm doing okay, Jesus. I don't really need that much more blessing. But when James says, for judgment is without mercy, mercy for the one who has shown no mercy. I kind of get convicted. Basically what James is saying is when you don't give mercy, when you cast judgment on other people, when you don't love others, if you're not willing to love anyone, what you're saying to God is, God, would you judge me the way that I judge others? And that's a scary thing to ask God to do. God, would you cast the same judgment on my life that I give to my coworkers and to my friends at school and to the guys at the mall? Would you give the same judgment to me? James is saying, be careful. Because if you want mercy, you will give mercy. Jesus says, not only will you give mercy, but you will be blessed when you give it. You will be blessed when you give it. 
And Jesus, he's the one to listen to on this because Jesus understood mercy, didn't he? As the Son of God, royalty looking down on humanity, the only perfect person that ever lived comes to earth, becomes human like us, lives with us. And then in the most unjust act of all of human history, he dies for us. This is what Christ does so that we might have mercy. And not only does he die for us, but Scripture says it's easy to die for a good man. What if you died for an unrighteous man? See, that's us. We are all the unrighteous. We are all the poor man that walks into the church with the rips in his jeans. When you read through Scripture, we are always the person who's broken and needy. That's who we need to relate to. Jesus comes and he gives us mercy when we deserve separation from God. When we deserve judgment and death, he gives us life. You see, we read about two things in Scripture. We read about mercy. And if you can't understand mercy, mercy mercy is simply this. Mercy is to not get what you deserve. And a lot of people view God this way as if he's just ready to backhand you, you know? But he's holding it back. Jesus is kind of reaching over here, just kind of stopping the hand. And this is how a lot of religions view God. It's like, I'm down here working. Please just don't hit me, right? Please just don't hit me. This is how a lot of religions get this. This is what separates Christianity from other religions. Islam, Islam gets mercy. If I can just fulfill all this stuff that I believe is right, then maybe I can get to heaven. Maybe God will hold back his wrath from me. But the difference of Christianity, the difference of the way of Jesus is not only mercy, but there is also grace. And if mercy is not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's this fact that, listen, I deserve nothing, and not only does does God withhold his wrath from me because of what Jesus did on the cross, he also pulls me up out of the mess, cleans me off, as we read a few verses ago, takes off these old dirty clothes that used to be who I was, gives me new clothes, puts a crown on my head, calls me royalty. One of his sons, you're one of his daughters, you're invited into the family, you're not just left outside in the cold. Do you guys see how beautiful that is? It's not just that you withhold wrath, but that you give grace. This is what he's calling us to do. James is like, give grace. Give grace. And that might look really simple. It might look like inviting that family over to dinner that you've been ignoring at work. It might look like just going out after church and instead of running right out the door, you might go over to somebody and say hi to them. Look around. Who's got nobody talking to them? You might go talk with them. Even if you're new, don't wait for somebody else. This is your thing. Go and show grace to people. It may look like raking leaves for some some lady next door. I don't know what it looks like for you, but when the church gets this, when the church is mobilized like this, the community looks up and notices because people come to life when they see this. They know there's something in their soul that wants more of this. So if you're the kind of person that cries out for fairness, if you're the kind of person that's like, life is not fair, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that we don't want what's fair. Because what's fair in my life is death and separation from God. What's fair is that I would get nothing good. 
And so when you get that, all of a sudden you stop crying out for fairness. You stop crying out for God to give you healing from this because, you know, he, you deserve this. And you start seeing yourself as a, as a servant to humanity. Now you can ask God for things. You can request stuff. But all of a sudden you become a servant to all of humanity and a servant to God and your whole perspective changes. Because every good thing that God gives you now is a gift from him. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want you to ask the question, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you surrendered your life fully to him? Or are there things that you're holding on to today? Would the people around you at your workplace and in your home, would they say that you're the kind of person that receives anyone? And if not, who is the person that you've written off? What is the people group that you have separated yourself from? Who is it that you have disqualified from sharing the good news of Jesus with? God, I want to pray for my heart and the hearts of those in this room, God, that we would be those who are marked by our grace. God, we confess that we have a a tendency to try to put people into categories, separate ourselves from them. God, we try to elevate ourselves by diminishing others. God, forgive us for that. Father, could could you give us the eyes to see your, your beauty in all people? God, could we be fully aware of the grace that it took to save us who are followers of Jesus, the grace that it took to redeem us in all of our mistakes? And God, would that overflow in love and in action, God, and that we would be a church that changes our city. And ultimately, people would be drawn to you, God. And we just, we look forward to that. And we thank you that you choose to use us in that, God. And as we worship here in a moment, God, could we worship from this spot, fully aware of who we are, fully aware of who we would be without Christ, and fully grateful for, the, for who we are with Christ. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.